When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I'm your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on YouTube, the Fox Sports app, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. So today, we're going big game hunting with Bud Kilmer counting five ranked matchups and every last top 25 team getting up if you buck, hustling, and flowing to the football, and seven of them caught holding that hell. I love preseason rankings because it turns college football into a blood sport. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. So we got to start with number five, Georgia upsetting number three, Clemson 10 to three. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a reckoning tonight. A bloodletting was had. A sickness was cast out. In 2020, the UGA offense averaged 37 points and 311 passing yards per game with JT Daniels behind center. It's averaged just 29 points and 209 passing yards per game without him. Crucially, the Bulldogs were undefeated with a 4-0 record with Daniels at quarterback and averaged better than 300 passing yards with 10 passing TDs and two INTs. There are 12 returnees from that 2020 team on the 2021 squad, and eight of those play on the offense. Last year, Alabama quarterback Mac Jones ranked first in passing yards per attempt at 11.19. In four games in 2020, Daniels averaged 10.34 yards per attempt, which ranked second among Power 5 QBs, with a minimum of 100 pass attempts. Heading into Saturday, Georgia was 42-18-4 all-time versus Clemson, including a 45-21 shellacking in 2014, though this was the first ever game between the schools when both are ranked in the top five of the AP. Now, check it, man. When DJ Uwe Ungalale threw that pick six, I knew the wheels had come off of the Clemson wagon, okay? Every starting quarterback at the top four teams in the country has thrown at least one interception in their opener, except Heisman frontrunner Bryce Young, who we will talk about a little bit later on. Clemson also, get this, rushed for, rushed for one yard in the first half against Georgia. Their lowest first half total since 2008. And hold on to that fact because it also scored as many points as Penn State and Wisconsin teams that they were making fun of in that first half football on Saturday earlier. Then in the third quarter, I looked down and saw that Clemson had rushed for negative 19 yards. That's right, negative 19. Means on top of sacking DJ Uwe Ungalale seven times, the dogs literally put the number three team in the country in a hole. You know, like a six-foot hole, like in a pauper field. Like rushing yards, you know, taking QB sacks into account for the math might be unfair, but so are tax brackets and student loan debt, yet here we are. 
Anyway, they finished with two rushing yards and scored three points. And those three points are the fewest by a Clemson team since 2007. September 29, 2007, when they lost to Georgia Tech 13-3. And to demonstrate how long ago that was, Georgia Tech lost a million-dollar payout and to North Illinois today to the NIU Huskies. This is what Clemson is staring down. I don't want to hear no more talk about Clemson making the college football playoff. They were done today because preseason rankings exist. No, look at the schedule, okay? The two best teams left in the ACC were UNC and Miami. Now you are praying that North Carolina State and Virginia Tech will carry the load for you. No, no, sir, no, sir. I don't want to hear any more conversation about Clemson making the college football playoff. The schedule is Kayshawn Booty. You get what I'm saying here? Because that's my lead-in to UCLA beating number 16 LSU 38-20. Now, check it. As hard as it was to believe this was the first time or the first game, excuse me, between the big bad bears of Westwood and the Zydeco banging Bayou Bengals. This, despite... A Pac-12 school has been in every one of the 25 games played against LSU because that's a verifiable fact. The Pac-12 was in those games because they showed up and they got the clocks clean like they were being disinfected for COVID. LSU was 22-3 and all-time against Pac-12 opponents heading into Saturday. And UCLA was a paltry 13-13-2, like Clemson's rushing yards. UCLA looked at itself in the mirror like Michael Jackson, you know the song, and said, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. <laughs> My God. Okay, UCLA ran up and down LSU. 200-plus yards against LSU for the OGs in the house. Dorian Thompson Robinson had 260 yards passing at one point and averaged 16.3 yards per attempt with three TDs and a pick. With 631 left to, left to play, and of course, UCLA wins 38-28. But should UCLA be ranked? Hell yes, they should be ranked. That's a tease. The Revenant sequel featuring Pac-12 football is what I'm here for. But, but that would also mean that you have to come back from the dead, which is what Washington's going to have to do. Check it. FCS Montana upset number 20, Washington. Oh, boy. According to Montana, first time in their history that they have beaten Washington. I think they would be the authority on such a thing. And we have not seen an FCS team beat a ranked opponent in who knows how long. It's not just that the FCS Montana squad upset number 20 Washington 13-7 in Seattle. It's that the Huskies paid the Grizzlies $675,000 for the privilege. Isn't it so Pac-12 for an unranked team to beat a ranked SEC team while a ranked Pac-12 team Lost to an FCS team? I think so. Pac-12 football. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. Okay? You know what's not going to be a lot of fun? Playing Alabama. Number one, Alabama ran roughshod over number 14, Miami, 44 to 13. Like Bosworth to 13. Nick Saban followed up losing five first-round draft picks to the NFL with quite literally the best recruiting class in history. That's like if the Infinity Gauntlet was being worn by Captain Marvel. It's a total hat-on-a-hat situation. You don't stop that. You bend the knee and beg for mercy because the Dragon Queen has you. Anyway, Alabama demonstrated that when the Tide 
obviously saw where I ranked them because of the new starting quarterback, the new offense coordinator, uh, the new center, the new receiving core, and the new cornerback. And, uh, well, he took out their frustrations on Miami. Look, new parts don't usually play like they've got 50,000 miles together. So I was right to doubt them, just not anymore, because now we have football. Ohio State is as talented as Alabama and as new in some spots. Stack Alabama's performance against Miami with Ohio State's performance against Minnesota. And this is the Kong variant, Nick Saban. But the tide didn't escape this one unscathed either. Linebacker Christopher Allen suffered an injury that could sideline him for the rest of the season. Meanwhile, Bryce Young was otherworldly. Bryce Young played like a million-dollar quarterback because, well, he actually is. He hit 27 to 38 for 344 with four TDs, and just like that, he's the Heisman frontrunner, mostly because unlike Spencer Rattler, C.J. Stroud, and D.J. Uwe Ungalay, he didn't throw an interception. And then Jameson Williams played like he was once number four on the wide receiver depth chart at Ohio State, and he chose to hold a grudge. He had four catches for 126, including one for 94. John Mechie added six for 76 with a TD. And yes, a dude named Cameron Latou had three catches. Two of them were TDs. And then you've got to take into account that they showed depth at tailback, right? Jason McCullen got touches. Of course, Brian Robinson Jr. got touches. And then Trey Sanders, who missed last season due to injury, scored from 20 yards out. Alabama is now the clear number one team in the country to me even as it has been for y'all for some time, and it's not close. What was, was Penn State, Wisconsin. Now, number 19, Penn State, beat number 12, Wisconsin, 16 to 10, in the best game of the day for me, like, quite honestly. It's not just that Penn State has won four straight against Wisconsin, or had. It's that only one team has won five straight against Wisconsin heading into Saturday, and that was, of course, Ohio State. Now there are two, but it gets even better if you're a Nittany Lions fan. This was also James Franklin's first career road win against a top 15 team ever. He was 0-12 before winning at Madison today. Jahan Dotson finished with 102 receiving yards, and the Nittany Lions put up 254 total yards in a game that was tied at zero until the 8-minute, 41-second mark in the third quarter. Wisconsin lost at home to the Nittany Lions despite having possession for 42 minutes and 51 seconds of a 60-minute football game. What I'm saying is they had a chance to win this thing several times. Two of them were in Graham Mertz's hands, quite literally, right? He missed two throws that could have won Wisconsin this football game based entirely on the score. Penn State can't expect to challenge Ohio State for the Big Ten East with an offense that needs 35 minutes of a 60-minute game to wake up. Now, this Jim Leonard Wisconsin defense is absolutely legit, and it might be the best one Penn State sees all year, right? Brent Pry is dialed in with Ellis Brooks, who had 11 tackles and a sack before getting tossed for an egregious targeting penalty, and that's kind of something I am passionate about as well. You saw that Joel Klatt went straight at it, right, on the broadcast, and I support this man. I, I can't agree more with him. You have to have levels to this you can't just toss a dude out for a targeting call you have to measure intent we didn't see Ellis Brooks in a game where he probably has a lot to say about what happened next all right number 17 Indiana got rocked by number 18 Iowa 34 to 6 
again, man, it's not that Indiana was ranked in a preseason poll for the first time since we landed on the moon. It's that they're seeking a third consecutive season for the first time since 1947 or when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Turns out Tyler Goodson is still that dude. He went for 56 yards score and Spencer Petras is a true threat to run. Iowa really, <laughs> they scored two on pick sixes, two touchdowns on pick sixes from Michael Penix. Like Riley Moss just showing up being like, that's mine, taking it back to the house. Also means that Iowa's offense only scored 20 points, but if the defense is going to get you 14, like, come on, man. Still, Penix throws three INTs in a game. It's tough to win that kind of game. You got to fix that. And then Ty Freifogel had a 33-yard catch that should have ended in a touchdown, but he got his shoes tied by the turf monster. I'm just saying, with Indiana, I wanted it to be a big year. It might not be as such. They got some work to do, okay? We got to work through this if you're, if, you're, if you're Tom Allen. Iowa, meanwhile, has asserted themselves, I think, as the Big Ten West division like leader because Minnesota lost, Wisconsin lost. They have an opportunity here, and their defense might rival Wisconsin and Penn State. Number 23, Louisiana, got smacked by number 21, Texas, 38 to 18. The last time Texas lost to a Sun Belt opponent was actually never. They never did. The Longhorns are now 11-0 against the SBC, and the last time they played Louisiana, they stopped a mud hole in them and walked it dry, 60-3, in the 2005 season opener. Texas hasn't been back since. The Rage of Cajuns had seen a bad moon rising, or, you know, over the last couple of years they had in 2020 alone, Louisiana knocked off a ranked Iowa State that played its best season in school history, finishing with a win against Big 12, well, finishing with a win against the future Big 12 champ, I should say, in Oklahoma because they beat him in the regular season. And then Fiesta Bowl win against the Pac-12 champ, Oregon, and shared the Sun Belt title with Cinderella herself, Coastal Carolina, who we'll talk about in a minute. And whatever we say about the Texas Longhorns, remember this, they never trailed Tulane. Just gonna, gonna leave that there for you. Hudson Card looked good in his debut. He went 14 to 21 for 224 with two tutties, right? And I think, I don't know, man, as I fumble with my uh, fee, the Raging Cajun's got a case of the runs against Texas because, well, Bijan Robinson is there. And Bijan Robinson, Bijan Robinson carries about 20 times for 103 yards. They only rushed for 170 at Texas. And I'm starting to figure out. Who's actually the brains or seems to be at Washington the last few years? Pete Kukowski's defense went out there and absolutely mauled, right? Four of 13 third downs were converted by Louisiana. That's it. But Levi Lewis still passed 28 of 40 for 282, and the Longhorns sacked, well, him four times. And, like, I understand if you're a Texas fan, you're looking at this, you're going, Iowa State barely beat Northern Iowa. Oklahoma barely beat Tulane. This is our year. Like Texas fans gonna be Avengers assembling, you know, like at the end game when Cap is going over there and he's like, I can do this all day, but he can't because Thanos has got the Black Legion behind him. And then all of a sudden out of the portal come all these Texas fans going, we're going to win the Big 12 championship. They hope. Vatek upset number 10, North Carolina 17 to 10. Sam Howell threw eight touchdown passes in two games leading up to this one against the Hokies. But against the Fighting Fuentes, he was sacked six times and intercepted three times, including the last one where Jordan Williams had his hooks into Howell like a Brahma bull has a rodeo clown who realized too late in his career he'd lost a step. Williams tossed football, right? Or excuse me, Howell tossed football 
like the last grenade in the bag into the arms of Chamari Connor, where, you know, any chance of a Tar Heel comeback was detonated. And who knew that a public school kid from Tulsa, Oklahoma, like Justin Fuente, could build a team capable of beating one led by an active college football Hall of Famer and national title winning head coach like friend of the show, Mac Brown. This is one of my favorite things about the sport. It takes all kinds, man. Like, again, look at Sam Howell, for instance. He's from a place called Indian Trail, North Carolina. And Indian Trail is a city with just over 41,000 residents, according to U.S. Census data. But it has starting quarterbacks in the preseason top 25 by itself in Howell and Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall. That's more than Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, Ohio, and Mississippi combined. And since we're here, let me tell you about Oconee County in Georgia. Oconee is home to just over 40,000 residents too, but it's Oconee County High School has produced two starting quarterbacks in the SEC in four years and three on the SEC's rosters. Five-star Brock Vandergriff signed with Georgia in 2021. Max Johnson starts at LSU after cooking number seven for Florida at the Swamp and getting cooked by UCLA. And Zeb Nolan starts for South Carolina after previously starting at North Dakota State and Iowa State where he cooked Oklahoma for 360 yards through the air. But back to Hal, who was voted ACC preseason player of the year and believed we all did that he was, you know, good enough to be selected number one overall in 2022 NFL draft. He had a really, really rough day. And you know what? We both did play a peep this graphic. Like, I'm not at all sure that these Heisman sleepers are working out for me. I mean, some of them do. Like Bryce Young being two there looks good. But Sam Howell's number one. Like, you got the picture of him and everything. <clears throat> Kayvon Thibodeau is 10 on this list, so I put him on the list. That's great. Derek Stingley Jr., just took an L. Like, uh, JT Daniels, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's looking real rough for, you, for your boy over here. It's rough for your boy's national championship pick. It's rough for your boy's Heisman favorites. It's just rough for your boy. It's rough for him like it's rough for number 11 Oregon, who survived Fresno State 31-24 when this game was tied in the fourth. I'm still in it, though. Oregon began its game against Fresno State 7-2. Seven and two against the Bulldogs all time. Matter of fact, the last seven games they've played between the Ducks and the Bulldogs have been won by the Dark Wings, dating back to the first term of the Reagan administration. Having put that lockjaw on the Huskies last weekend, Fresno State was looking to solve that mystery and rewrite history. Duck tails, woo! -hoo. Tales of daring, do bad, and good luck tales, woo! -hoo. Not ponytails or cottontails. No duck tails. Woo-hoo. <clears throat> Fresno State had also won its last three games against the Pac-12. And the Bulldogs looked like winning until the 8:28 mark in the fourth quarter when the Ducks tied it up with 3.46 left to play. Duck quarterback Anthony Brown rushed for a 30-yard score to give him the win, but it wasn't pretty. I mean, and neither was Brown. He completed just 15 of 24 passes for 173 yards. The Ducks also rushed for 182, but the defense, especially playing without their ace, Kayvon Thibodeau, as much as an ace can be defensive, allowed 298 passing yards and couldn't put the Bulldogs away in a dogfight despite three turnovers from Fresno State. Pun intended, okay? Like, when you look at this game and you see Kayvon Thibodeau with the strip sack, just that's... That's nasty, man. 
Like that dude is unfair. Five is slender and five is still 250 pounds and coming after people. Like, what, what is, my goodness, this pass rush. And it's also telling that losing that dude, their talisman on defense, can do this to an Oregon football team that also had a hard time moving the football, right? It could be that Oregon is not that good. It could be that Fresno State is. It could be both, quite honestly, because Fresno State has done nothing but acquit itself well. I'm saying that I would be shocked if Oregon puts a really good shellacking on an Ohio State team we're going to get to see play next week. But this is, I did not expect Fresno State to give Oregon a game at all. I certainly did not expect for it to be a one-score game at the start of the fourth quarter with Fresno State in the lead. I mean, you look at this 45-yard run. Like, there's so much going on here that I want to see in, in 10 weeks because looking at Fresno State, that, that would have been my group of five darling had they been able to beat Oregon. I mean, because, like, that for me is the best team in the Pac-12. And you know what? Pac-12 media members believe that as well. Just go take a look at the preseason poll. Another reason, preseason polls are awesome because now we have this. We expect you to be great, Oregon, so go be great against Ohio State. Speaking of Ohio State, we had Thursday night football on Big Fox, baby. Eat your heart out, Joe Buck and Troy. Uh, you are good-looking Pro Football Hall of Famers, and I want to be clear about that. You both need to do the number one ranked show. Uh, we, we would love to have you. We like nothing more. I'm, 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 that's an invitation. Please accept it. Ahead of kickoff, the Buckeyes won 21 consecutive opening games dating back to 1999. They lost to number 12 Miami then. But, you know, the Buckeyes walked into Huntington Bank Stadium, 46 and 7 all time, and have won 11 straight, including 27 of the last 28 meetings between the two. And you know what? The Buckeyes were 22 and 5 in Minneapolis, but had only played twice four at the bank and they broke it both times in 2010 it was 52 to 10 and in 2014 it was 31 to 24 how stout is minnesota running back mo ibrahim though he's the only player in fbs who rushed for 100 or more yards in every game he played last season and he did it again against the buckeyes he had 163 on the ground before leaving the game due to injury in the third quarter man was looking to go for 200 but C.J. Stroud, man, he is that dude. It's not that Ryan Day is 18-0 and 0 versus Big Ten opponents as head coach at Ohio State. It's that 17 of those 18 wins have come by double digits. And those stats held with the knuck if you Buckeyes kicking in Goldie go for two front teeth, 45-31. Buckeyes played, well, uh, Buckeyes pulled up to Huntington Bay and said, put the money in the bag. After a start that was shaky, and so shaky that Quinn Ewers' his name was trending on Twitter, Stroud came into the second half, flipped aloud. Now Ohio State fans got their certified lover boy bringing one and oh back to the Columbus crowd. He finished 13 and 22 for 294 with four tutties and a pick. Meanwhile, we witnessed the rise of the Mayan Empire. Buckeye running back Mayan Williams smashed for 128 on the ground, including a 71-yard run. Where he hit the corner, like he smelled his mama fried pork chops and calling his name. Things could have gone bad for Ohio State in all seriousness, right? 
especially with Stroud looking rattled in the first half. I wondered what Ryan Day told his starter to calm him down at halftime. And Coach Day was kind enough to join us on the number one ranked show to tell us exactly what he said. I'm here with Ohio State head coach Ryan Day, who is fresh off of a road win in conference play. His Buckeyes beat the Minnesota Gophers 45-31 to and got some outstanding play out of his quarterback, C.J. Stroud, especially in the second half. But coach, I want to ask about why you said in the post-game press conference you didn't want to put any expectations on a quarterback. I'm sure Buckeye fans had a lot of expectations that they already put on themselves. Well, I think that when you do that and something goes uh, poorly or adversity hits, you know, you don't have um, the foundation to be able to work through that. And so uh, having no expectations or talking about when something may not go well, having that plan ahead of time, that goes a long way because when you're in it, you know, in, in, a, in a, the first game of the year, uh, the fans, you know, all that type of environment, you know, you can't, you can't all of a sudden start to sort through your feelings and emotions in that moment. You have to have a plan heading in. And that was one way for us to deal with adversity when we knew at some point it was going to hit. One of the things that you said to uh, our Jenny Taft in the pregame lead up to that is you're going to let him play and then you're going to go watch the film. You're going to teach the film. But one of the things I took away from it is with CJ's hand. Hey, look, I actually hadn't been hit in two years. And then it, it hit me that he also had not played in front of people, let alone a hostile environment in at least two years. What'd you see on film? How do you think he handled all of what college football is for the first time as a starting quarterback? I mean, I think it was solid. You know, it wasn't perfect, but I, I think when um, you, know, you go back and watch the game, I know as, as a young quarterback, I did, uh, you watch a lot of film and you practice and you watch a lot of film and then you go play in the game um, and you have a perception of what the game was going to look like then you watch it on film and you're like whoa that's not what I thought it looked like <laughs> my point of view not from playing under center and then you know you go back and you watch the film and you're like wow that, that guy was there that guy was there okay this happened look at myself in this situation you know what you see on film isn't exactly what you experienced in real time and I think that's where the growing is going to continue to build as he gets reps under his belt. I wondered about the second half performance in particular. I know you've been asked a bunch about this, but I'm going to ask it again because I think it's such an interesting part of the story going forward. What did you tell CJ at halftime? He was 8 of 14, 58 with an interception. You guys are down. Like There's a really good opportunity for him to be down on himself and for his teammates to, yes, pick him up, which they did, but also maybe not believe in him. Well, I, I told them we're just going to keep calling them, and you know we're not going to we're not going to stop, and um, you know I'm not going to change how we're calling this thing. We're we're not going to do that. Um, and, and by the way, it's about to start raining a lot harder, so it's mm -hmm. even going to be harder for you. Uh, and and he he took it on. I think after the game, he had an appreciation for exactly you know how things went, and I think he he understands a little bit more now than he did certainly uh, a week ago at this time. And that's great. But, but yeah, that was the conversation. We're just going to keep swinging. I'm going to keep calling them and we got to go. 
where does the wherewithal come for come from for you to stay with the plan to stay with what you know you put together before you got here especially without having played games you know you're putting together this thing in the pregame you think you know what you're going to see and then you got to hold on tight to what you know how do you build that faith in yourself and in your program well I, the first thing is i was thinking before the game that in the last 10 years um, had first you know first time quarterbacks for me in terms of as, as a coach for nine of them mm. last year was was really the the, the first time that uh, i've been with a quarterback for two years in a row uh, as a starter so it's something that um you know fortunately unfortunately i don't know what it is it's just the facts is understanding a young quarterback and how to bring them along i think it's just something that we've come accustomed to here um certainly no it's not easy uh, and when, when you're making a transition from high school football to college football, especially at this level, it, it is a significant jump. And so uh, understanding that coming in and, um, you know, just trying to handle it the best you can is all we can do. Uh, I think the, the other thing that we did a good job of is, you know, we relied on the veterans around CJ. I thought the offensive line did a really good job in protection, thought we ran the ball well. And obviously the receivers, uh, you know, made some huge plays for us. You did run the ball well, uh, extremely well. We got to see, uh, I called it the rise of the Mayan empire, uh, Mayan Williams getting to the corner, taking it to the house. We got to see Travion Henderson. We got to see Master T. We got to see Mark Crowley. And quite as it's kept, your offensive line is enormous, man. Like, you're like running four tackles out there, dog. Like, how do you feel about having this amount of talent and trying to just push it in the right direction, teach it, because you know what you have going forward. You know you have what you need to win. How do you feel when you know you have that on the sideline? Well, it's first off, it's week to week. Mm. And, you know, you have to put it together one game plan at a time. And what happened the week before, you know, doesn't affect what's going on this week. I mean, we got to bring it every single week. and we got a brand new challenge this week. Um, we do have talent, uh, but we also have an experience. You know, a lot of these guys haven't played. Uh, Paris, you know, really uh, hasn't played a whole bunch. Luke, not as much. Thayer got moved from tackle to guard. I thought he made that transition really well, but that's new for him. Mm -hmm. Went from right to left, and Dewan's new at, at right right uh, tackle. Mm -hmm. So they're really all playing new positions. Uh, but like you said, they're very, very talented. Uh, I think they're, they have the right mindset. And, you know, it does give you a peace of mind going into the game that you have the athleticism. We just don't have the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, Coach Studd does a great job of coaching them. I think we do have um, a good stable of backs that, that's going to pay off, you know, as we, as we head into these bigger games. And I think it takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback. Last question for you, Coach. Uh, yeah, obviously watch the defense and how it was being challenged in the run game by a really good running back. I think one of the best running backs in the country. And we hope that Muhammad Ibrahim is okay because that was, that was outstanding to watch. What do you tell your defense? What did you see on film that they need to clean up ahead of Oregon? I thought we played hard. Mm. I think that was the first. It was a physical game. Um, you know, it's like having a physical game like that for your first game is a challenge. I mean, we went into the, the, the preseason knowing we had to get game ready to play that type of physical game, a conference game with a lot of young guys who hadn't done it. You know, all the linebackers were brand new, a bunch of guys in the secondary, uh, inexperienced, you know, everything – that was going on in that defense was for the first time for a lot of those guys. Um, and, you know, we always say, you know, you can make up with effort for, you know, maybe a little bit of a misalignment or things like that. So 
when you look at it, uh, we did have a couple of missed tackles. Uh, and so we got to clean that stuff up. Uh, if we can, you know, they, they did have the one explosive play. Um, we did create some turnovers, um, almost had a third turnover that I thought would have been, um, you know, really a game changer. We got called um, for, for, you know, kind of hands to the face on a quarterback. Um, that was unfortunate, but, you know, we, we did create some turnovers. We make them drive the entire field. You know, if we can clean up some things in terms of detail, um, that could be, that could have been a different game. Um, but going into this game, we have a new challenge and, um, you know, we, we got to come together because one of the plans to win for us is to play great defense. And if, if we want to win big games and make a run at this thing, then we're, we're going to have to do that. Right on. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day, thank you so much, sir, for joining us here on the number one ranked show. And good luck against Oregon this Saturday. Thanks, RJ. He makes a really good point about perhaps having like three turnovers there because we're talking about a roughing the passer that negates a Josh Proctor interception and basically was a 14-point swing. Perhaps it's closer, perhaps it's not. I thought it was an incredible football game, and I was privileged to be there at Huntington Bank Stadium to watch it. We're also incredibly grateful to Coach Ryan Day, and we hope to have him back on the show very soon and quite often. Now, the Big 12, Big 12, the Big 12 can has 12 teams again? All right, so as you can see, the Big 12 is solidifying its position on the food chain after the SEC didn't give a, look a gift horse in the mouth. And when OU and Texas basically, you know, banged on the door of the SEC and said, let us in like baby D at Pinkies. Day Day, don't make me break this window. Big 12 looked at the American and saw a mark. It's planning to snatch Cincinnati, Houston, 2017 National Champion UCF from the American and add BYU from the Pac-12 footprint. Now, you saw Bruce's tweet, but I think this is really about Bob Bowlesby. Finally acting like a member of the five families, like a crime boss for the five families. Nah, this man came out here, a little scrappy gangster, gangster, said, no, I am not going to let you dissolve my conference. I will go take from somebody else's conference, and I'm going to convince an independent to come straight on through. All right. Now we got to, we got to. We got to take a look at, 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 at my preseason top 25. And uh, wow, dog. Like, when I saw this in graphical form, I was elated. I was elated because the preseason ranking does what a preseason ranking is supposed to do, which is get destroyed. Look at this. We got L's to Clemson. We got L's to LSU. Like, that's two of my top 10 teams. I'd like to point out that eight of them are still intact, right? I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, some of these are sketch. Like, Iowa State, it's a little too tight against Northern Iowa. Like, Oklahoma, a little too tight against Tulane. We will have some moving and shuffling and shaking on this top 25 tree. We're going to have some new additions. So that is as good a tease as any for Tuesday's show, where you can watch the show live on YouTube on the Fox Sports app, and you can be with us as I break down my top 25 heading into the week two slate of football games. That is it for our show today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, Direct TV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director 
is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Dunkey. Our editor is Atang Tejano. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That's it for me. Doses. Thank you.